Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning about it all. I am your host, Wayne Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going phenomenal. Phenomenal. Four star rating. Four star. <laughs> I don't know what you said. I don't know. It might be three and a half, too. I don't know yet. Might be, th- might be three, three and a half. Not going to tease the fans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but we have a lot of topics to get into um, today, as usual. And um, we're going to uh, talk about the upcoming uh, Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders fight. Also, some post NFL draft thoughts. Um, uh, a quick thought on the NBA play-in tournament, and as that's you know caused a lot of uh, controversy and debate, and also just wondering if that's a, a feasible extension of um, the the, the run-up um, before the postseason, and then in the second half. I mean, we're also going to do a couple of album reviews in the second half. We're going to have a review of uh, Without Remorse. Um, but to start it off with just thoughts on Canelo's upcoming fight versus Billy Joe Saunders and the key X factors for it. Um, you know, Canelo is the current middleweight champion and Billy Joe Saunders is ranked fourth in the, in the division. Saunders, you know, is the underdog, but is a South Pole can counter punch and, punch and move well. Um, Austin Trout and, and uh, Ares Landy, um, Laura have had some success with that approach versus Canelo in the past. And for Canelo, he's just a world-class power hitter and has had 11 KOs in his last 12 victories. Um, but to you, kind of like, what are your early thoughts on this fight and maybe the key X factors for it? See that's the that's the the re, reoccurring thing. He's a softball. He has a a weird stance. He does things differently. He might give Canelo uh, threats or might be uh, you know I know Saunders is definitely powerful. He's he's a boxer. He's from the Gypsy uh, camp, so those guys can box over there. But the one thing I do hate when people bring that up that was seven eight years ago, and yeah. we've seen long Canelo, time ago, <laughs> long long time ago. We see Canelo put put an Arsenal together. He is in most uh, areas that you can poke holes to. You can't poke holes in Canelo's game anymore. He's one of the best defensive guys. It's almost spotless. Spotless. And he doesn't make many mistakes. You have to be dang near perfect against Canelo to either hurt him or outbox him. I, I'm you have to be Floyd Mayweather. You have, you, have to, <laughs> you have to be Floyd Mayweather. You got to be God or somebody. You got to be Jesus. You got to be the ideal model or something to make Canelo make a mistake. And he doesn't do that often. And if he does, he knows how to recover real fast. He's smart. He knows how to adjust to a different boxers as well as a softball or just a, an ordinary an ordinary stance or whatever the guy does to try to, you know, give him fits. But I think he's, he's, he's well-pressed. The guy's going to be good. I think he's going to go all 12 rounds. I don't think anybody get knocked out. I think Saunders will hurt him, mm-hmm. but it won't. It, I think Canelo uh, recovers. It won't be too much of an effect. Yeah, it will have to be in the first three rounds because the first yeah. three rounds are where boxers kind of fill each other out and see what see what's going to happen. He's going to have to do something off the off the scale to be able to like, okay, I'm I'm going after him because if it's it's two ways I see Saunders doing it is letting Canelo come to him and he he keeps the pace or he does he he goes after him. And I don't think Saunders will go after Canelo because, one, Canelo is one of the best defenders in, in boxing. Whatever, it doesn't matter what weight class he's in, he's the best defender besides Money Mayweather. So I think Canelo wins yeah. 12 rounds. Unanimous decision. Unanimous yeah, decision. Unanimous, as the usual, unanimous decision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we see him have knockout power, but he's he stick to the guns of being an ideal boxer. And he's one of yeah. the like, – I keep saying, reiterate this, he's one of the best defenders. He's – it's it's one of those guys who he has athleticism, but he's he's more of a boxer more than he yeah. uses his a- athleticism. So that's very rare in boxing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And transitioning to how much longer can Canelo stay in, in peak condition and performance for his prime years, you know, ever since his fights against Triple G, he's looked in command for the majority of the time. Yeah. Um, he set himself apart as just a must-see headliner and has rarely been put in a vulnerable losing vulnerable losing situation um as we we're mentioning mentioning like his only loss is to floyd mayweather when he was just 23 but from your perspective like how long do you think canelo can only can stay in peak condition because i believe he's only like 30 or 31 and he's really at the point point of his career where he can kind of just control the chess pieces and really see like how far he wants to take this run you know i think he's a smart guy so i'll start with the <laughs> the tenure of uh, most uh, boxers most guys who are there in their prime and they're at the top of the peak and they've won so many fights, won so many bouts or whatever, they can have the opportunity to ride off in the sunset and just claim one of the best boxers ever. Now, I, I think Canelo loves boxing too much to step away from it. I don't think he's going to be like Roy Jones, who who depended most of his athleticism to beat beat fighters, whether he moved up in weight or not. He has so he was so quick. He, yeah. Roy could box, don't get me wrong, but he didn't he uses athleticism to get into places and maneuver around and, and engage when he needs to and back out. Now Canelo will stand in there and box you. He doesn't have to use uses athleticism because he works at it so much, his movements, and he's he's fast, but he's he's boxing fast, if that makes right. any sense. So for for him this longevity, I think because he doesn't use his athleticism. And that he, he he tends to use boxing the IQ of his, his boxing IQ more than his athleticism. I think he his team would be longer than any boxer that ever stepped foot. Sort of kind of like Money Mayweather because mm. he uses his athleticism, but he uses his boxing IQ more than anything else. Especially his defending, his his his, his jabs and his counter punches. Roy didn't do that. Roy Roy was <laughs> Roy was yeah. just everywhere. Roy was everywhere. just everywhere. But he's a great <laughs> boxer, but. He had opportunity to ride off in the sunset, but he didn't do that. And then his career was kind of rocky after that, especially moving. He went to heavyweight, beat the heavyweight guy, then moved back, then lost to Tarver, and then it was it was rocky after that. But um, but his longevity is going to be long due to him not depending on his athleticism, athleticism alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, and 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 also like looking at other fighters um going forward like Javante Davis he's got a June 26th fight uh, against um, Rio uh, Barrios Ryan Garcia he's taking a fight off um you know he, he had some personal issues mental health issues that he kind of wanted to just take some time away from boxing um Terrence Crawford obviously still one of the top fighters um even in the heavyweight division with Anthony, Anthony Joshua and um him having uh, potentially a, another fight coming up like is there any fighter or just maybe fight going forward that you're also possibly interested in outside of Canelo? Geronte Davis. I think he's next up. Oh, yeah. I think he's the guy. He's got next. He's He has an amazing I, I, um, amazing IQ, boxing IQ, and he also has a lot of power. He's so smart. Tough. I forgot what fight he was. He set the guy up. He let the guy jab him twice, and then he stepped to the side and uppercut him. It was over. And he, he knew he was going to do that because you see in his eyes, he was like, okay, I'm going to let him jab again. Let him jab. He's going to try to jab again. I'm a size. Like, the IQ is crazy. I mean, fight under Money Mayweather, you learn. Was it versus Santa Cruz? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. It was on the ropes. Uh, Santa, oh, the guy was on the ropes. He was jabbing. He jabbed again. He went to jab another time to set it up, and he just stuck to the side. Boom. Fast. Yeah. Fast. And I'm like, <sighs> super fast. So, like... I mean, he's a guy next up. I, I don't see anybody beating him. And I want to see him, if he can take it off the top, can he beat Mayweather's record? Can he be a better Mayweather? 
And I think yeah, because he's moving up to the 140 pound division, so that's going to be another test for him. And of course, especially when they move up, I love when they move up to show how good of a boxer they are and yeah. what they can do with each weight class. As as it's hard to do, that's not easy said and done. It's hard to move up a weight class and be able to to have the same same uh, abilities you had in a lower weight class because more weight it means you you punch harder, but you're, you're a little slower too. So I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing him uh, progress because he's a bad boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, transitioning to to the NFL and just kind of first of all thoughts on um, Jimmy Garoppolo with San Francisco and also how Trey Lance can learn from him. Um, there were reports last week that Garoppolo could have been traded as many people thought Mac Jones was going to be the third pick. And even Kyle Shanahan on the Rich Eisen show said that he reached out to Matt LaFleur to find out about um, Rogers availability and this perceived trade was you know not able to work. And they would have had to offer three first round picks and a third to even generate um anything but kind of like what are your thoughts on the speculation of the 49ers originally looking for a jimmy g trade and how they can move forward with him leading the charge and mentoring uh, trey lance you know um i think they gave up on him probably the year well they went to the super bowl i think they understood yeah. what type of quarterback they have when they went to the super bowl and he was not it he didn't have that impact and when he got hurt i think okay well we don't have a good backup. We don't have guys who can who carry low if our number one guy goes out. Okay, we still have Jimmy, but there's guys in the draft that we can pick up. Mac Jones, Trey Lance, obviously they picked Trey Lance, which was a great, greater pick in, in my eyes. And, and then you look at, okay, now we still have Jimmy. Still, Jimmy still has a lot of trade value. So let's try to get something for him. If we don't, it's a, it's a win-win for us. Now we got a guy who can split time with Trey Lance. I think it would be like uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Joe Flacco situation when he was with the Baltimore Ravens before he left over. I think it'll be a situation they'll split Tom. Trey Lance won't get – he'll get the starting nod. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. But I think they trade Tom to give him the opportunity to get accustomed to the, the fast pace of the NFL. But I do think they'll use a two-quarterback two system. And I, I, maybe they trade him down the line. I don't know. Maybe he'll request a trade. But I think Jimmy's the type of guy who, who's willing to sit and wait for his opportunity. A lot of guys think he's going to get hurt again. This is his second time in his career getting hurt in the NFL, one with the Patriots, one obviously with the, the 49ers. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's going to be interesting, but I do think they're going to use a two-quarterback two system. Yeah. It, it, it really is an interesting balance how you can set that up, how, how a person can kind of learn from that yeah. um, and, and kind of, you know, have a, a strong duality with that with that type of approach. Um Transitioning to uh, the Patriots and thoughts on like between Mac Jones and Cam, who's the better pick to start long term for New England this season? Um, you know, Mac Jones became the first quarterback taken by the Patriots in the first round of the draft since 1993. Um, at the 15th pick, um, you know, he even said that he viewed his current role as one to support Cam Newton. And for Cam, you know, he's coming off of a rare subpar season for the Patriots as um, you know he re-signed with the team on a one-year deal this offseason. Um, they've made significant upgrades in the offseason with Nelson Aguilar. Um, Kendrick Bourne, uh, Johnny Smith, and Hunter Henry. But kind of like, what are your thoughts on Mac Jones in New England? And do you think Cam will will stay being a starter for the entirety of the season? Because this is a type of season where we kind of want to see, like, can Cam in his, you know, second year with the Patriots, like, maybe put put aside, like, the doubts from the first year um, when he had struggles and kind of, like, right the wrongs when you got, like, a younger a younger quarterback from an elite program like Alabama coming in the reins, and there may, there may be some speculation of who's really going to lead the team. You know, I think they still go with Cam Newton. 
for experience yeah. purposes. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, when we saw Cam Newton go down, we saw, <clears throat> excuse me, Stidham and a bunch of other backups did not do the job well. And I think Stidham and Mac Jones have similarities um, through college and like body type, uh, not a big arm. They don't drive the ball down the field. They don't have the big arm. Like I said, I have to reiterate that because a big arm is big in the NFL. Uh, they don't extend plays. They don't make much yardage after the run or, or, or you know, design runs. So when, when you look at an offense with the Patriots and what they've done, Tom Brady didn't really have to be able to extend plays, but he had a big enough arm to get the ball down the field, to to throw open wide receivers. I think that's the biggest thing Tom Brady had, his size as well as his arm strength. A lot of people have knocked him for that, but we're not talking about Tom Brady at all. We're talking about Mac Jones. Mac Jones yeah. does not have the arm, big arm strength. He doesn't have the accuracy. Most of the guys were open at Bama, but I do think I do think what he does have over Cam, Mac Jones' ability to notice wide receivers open. I know that's such that's so <laughs> <laughs> that's so condescending, but his his alert, his his pocket presence. Is is one of the things I think I love about Mac Jones. I mean, obviously, when you were in Bama, you have these big guys, five-star offensive linemen, one from Pensacola, Alex Leatherwood, blocking for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he does have a pocket presence, but he doesn't have the big arm. He doesn't have the the, the extended play uh, like Cam does. So, I think he's going to be a guy who has going to have to learn. I don't think he comes in right away. I know they draft him in the first first round, the first. Quarterback they drafted since what Blitzo or somebody I can't yeah. remember who it Drew, was since Drew Blitzo. Drew Blitzo. So I yeah. don't think they start him right away. I think Cam Newton is going to be the starter, but if Cam doesn't get his his junk together, they're going to implement Mac Jones. But Mac Jones is going to be super close, super close to get and having to start now. It just depends on his rookie OTAs, OTAs, mini camp, and then obviously the preseason. But. Uh, yeah, I think I think Cam Newton is going to continue to have the starter role. Yeah, and, and but do you think also the fact that like we saw it with Tua and 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 there was like speculation of okay, like he had all of these great weapons, but can like he transition to the league where you're not going to have that many weapons, you're not going to have that great of disposal? Like, do you think sometimes for these quarterbacks from Alabama that can kind of be like what they're going up against, like the narrative of you've you've been given like just an array of amazing weapons, now yes. you, like are you really going to be able to 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 do it when you have just maybe like a regular assortment of weapons. Yes. You know what? <clears throat> the, the, the the biggest knock against Alabama, they have too many good players. And yeah. I know that's kind of un- like it's crazy to like, they got too many good players. What do you mean? It's no such thing. It's a such thing because these guys don't experience what other, other players go through. They have a – those running backs don't get touched until the second level. The quarterback doesn't get touched until the plate goes down and he has to extend it. Most of the time, they have these big wide receivers or these wide receivers that run four threes like Judy and Waddle and all these other guys, Smith, who could get open because they're super fast and they know how to run routes. NFL, they're also other fast guys. Cornerbacks, linebackers, yeah. defensive linemen. One guy ran a 4-5. Defense in. I think for Miami, he ran a 4-5. 4-5, Yeah, for Miami. So it's different. You have to throw wide receivers open. Tua can't do that. That's the one thing he struggled. He can't throw a wide receiver open. He doesn't have the accuracy or the ability to make a wide receiver open. And that's when he's tightly covered, a back throw can uh, open a wide receiver, throw a wide, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, throw a wide receiver open. An overhead top shot can throw a wide, wide receiver open. There's a lot of ways you can do it. It's difficult now 
but Tua can't do it. I haven't seen any other <laughs> quarterback from Alabama do it. <laughs> I've seen Jalen Hurts do it a couple times. I think yeah. Jalen will get there. I think he can throw a wide receiver, but I see him do a couple back back uh, shoulder throws um, when he got the nod with the Eagles. But it's rare quarterbacks from Alabama throw wide receiver opens who can cut the mustard. You name one wide receiver, one quarterback who started for multiple years in the NFL that's from Bama. <laughs> you can't. You can't do it. You cannot <laughs> you do, it. do it. <laughs> it's a lost cause. It's a lost cause. Now, you can say some running backs that came in and did a great job. Obviously, Derrick yeah. Henry. Um, Trent had a decent tenure. Eddie Lacy. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, Sean Alexander had a great tenure. Um, yeah. The running backs do well. I'm not taking anything with running backs or wide receivers, but the quarterbacks is extremely difficult for you to have that. It's few and far between. Yeah, in game because your wide receivers are always open or you have mm-hmm. enough wide receivers. Well, if they double coverage one wide receiver, we have – wait, I would think it was Julio. Then it was uh, – uh, what's the other guy who's with um, Dallas now who was got drafted by the Raiders – Oh, Amari Cooper. Amari, it was Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, and it was another big-time wide receiver. And I'm like, how? All these guys on one team. <laughs> look, look, Waddle, Waddle, yeah. uh, Jerry Judy, Smith, and some other guys who was on the same team, same wide receiver uh, room. And he said, yeah, of course, you have a field day. You don't really have to yeah. do much. But I digress. But I think with – It's a dream scenario when you have those guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oof. They have guys now we haven't heard about that's super fire. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really astonishing. Uh, listening to the NBA and um, thoughts on just the the play in tournament and who could be possibly like the more dangerous, uh, the, the most dangerous team from the East uh, and West. Um, but before we even get to the play in tournament, this is something that's you know it, it, it's very different for the league. Obviously, they're getting more games at the end of the season. Seventh, uh, seventh to, uh, to, to to through the ten seed, getting a chance to, to get into the postseason, and usually that would be like if you were seven or eight seed, you're automatically in. Um, Mark Cuban, even uh, Luka Doncic had some you know some thoughts about just yeah. it's not fair for a seven seed to not be able to automatically get in. Um, even LeBron was feeling as though that you know it, it just wasn't um, just a very efficient system. Um, before we even get to kind of just like who's our t- pick. Who would you like? Like, what what are your thoughts on the playing tournament? Do you think it's like it's good for the league? Because obviously they're going to want more revenue, more games. But do you think this is an efficient system for the league? No, absolutely not. You have seventy two <clears throat> seventy two games. Yeah, seventy two. Seventy two games to be able to get into the playoffs, and if you lose, you know what I'm saying, you get out the playoffs. I think the system that has been set for eons needs to be still set for eons. There's no second chances. <clears throat> if you didn't do good in the regular season, and that and You're basically was, bailing out teams that are below average. <laughs> right. And I think when you do that, I mean, ratings will go up because now you have extended games. Now you have extra people. I see the business side. But when you think about it, now you put pressure on the five and six seed to maintain their position. It makes yeah. things much harder. I'm, you know, I'm all about having difficult competition when it comes to sports, but it has to be ideal and smart. Now you have more wear and tear for these players. Now you will have more load management. It's just leave the system where it is. I just leave the system where it is. <laughs> They're trying to tinker with everything. Like, how can we make this the most optimal? <laughs> I'm like, just just keep out was. <laughs> just leave it. The, just leave it. Now the fifth and sixth seed has to worry about staying the fifth and sixth seed. The seventh seed can't automatically get in. Now you got to worry about the ninth and tenth seed. Like, come on. 
They should have been good. Ten seed could be in the postseason. <laughs> they should have <laughs> been good the rest of the, for the remaining of the season. Man, come on, leave it the way it is. But you know what's crazy? LeBron wanted that, but now he doesn't want that. Yeah, he's like, uh, we could be in that. <laughs> I, don't <like> that. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to. Because this, I think, uh, Portland's a game behind them. Yeah, like that's the really crazy thing because they're playing tonight and they're uh, the Lakers are the sixth seed, Portland's the seventh seed. Um, from from the West, you've got um, Portland, Golden State, Memphis, San Antonio from seven through ten. Mm-hmm. In the East, um, Miami, Charlotte, Indiana, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, for the West, like if it the standings say the same, like I would think the Blazers are probably the most dangerous playoff team because you know they've made the playoffs seven consecutive seasons, tied for the NBA's um, second longest streak under Terry Sots, and then you've got just Obviously, consistent all NBA candidates in Lillard and McCollum. Um, from the East, I probably would go with Miami because I mean they were just in the finals; they have that experience, um, and they're they're finally getting a, a little more healthy. Bam Adebayo's uh, growth and ascension is definitely going to be something um, pivotal for the team. But like, with looking at both standings, like what teams would you would you pick from the West and East that would could possibly be like the, the most dangerous playing uh, teams if they if they're able to advance to the, out of the play-in or in the regular play-in? Out of the play-in. Um, I if think they, go, yeah, if they were able to get out of the plan. I think go to state for the West. Mm-hmm. I think go to state is playing great basketball. Steph Curry is playing on his mind. We we talked about that thing last week or the week before. Steph yeah. Curry has been balling out crazy. They look good. They look better now. Just imagine they had Clay Thompson. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. But um, out of the East, mm, that's difficult. I wanted to say Miami, but I like Charlotte. I like Charlotte. Yeah, Lamelo's back. Lamelo's back. They they're more confident with Lamelo. Lamelo. Can can operate a team. We've seen that they they play better. They run better transition offense with them. I, I I like the, I like Charlotte. I like Charlotte. I want to say out of the West. I wanted to say <laughs> I want to say New Orleans, but <laughs> oh yeah, Zion's out now. Yes, that, come How on. Does this always happen? He was playing great basketball too. He was yeah. playing great basketball. It's just being that big guy. Like, you look at Charles Barkley, how he walks now. I don't want Zion to be like Charles. Charles can barely walk. That's why he's got to be on inside the NBA, man. That's why he's got to sit. <laughs> Get a comfortable seat. <laughs> he needs a lazy boy. He needs to go. Because he's not a good commentator either. Because he just talks about anything and everything. I don't know. You don't like Charles as a commentator? No, he does not have um, good insight. He's just a, a body. I mean, Kenny's a ama- Kenny's an amazing commentator. Kenny has grown over the years. Shaq, I think yeah. Shaq is a good commentator. He just doesn't know how to speak well. It's just his. EJ is the perfect moderator. Yeah, of course. I like him. Yeah, I like him since he was on. Um, I think it was uh, he first started on ESPN. Like it was, uh, I forgot the show. I, ah, I can't remember. But he was. He's been in the game a long time. Him and Rich Eisen have been in the game for a long. Time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but no, 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 no. I don't like Charles Barkley. As a, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. As Short takeaway: Don't like Charles in, no, inside NBA. <laughs> come on, 20, 25 boys, twenty-five boys. Like, bro, I don't want. No, you have terrible insight. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but I think they. Well, I don't. Really, this is not the talk about is inside NBA yeah. show. Or you guys can come here for this. <laughs> But no, I think uh, the Charlotte Charlotte is going to be good. I think it's going to be a threat if they if they if they make it out of play in and also, uh, yeah, State. yeah. I mean that 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 would really be fascinating because I mean in another team the Wizards like they've been able to play a lot better like Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook their chemistry has like kind of risen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are there like any early because like 
from the East and West, like Brooklyn, they've kind of been on a losing streak recently. Milwaukee was able to beat them twice. Like, is there anything from the top tier teams that you that you're observing or, or like kind of taking away as a possible like key storyline headed heading into the postseason? Brooklyn can be beat. Yeah. Utah is too comfortable. Uh, Phoenix has a great chance of winning it all. They really, they really could get to the finals. Yeah. Yes, I think so. They have a great chance of winning it all. Lakers are still in it. Um, Denver, they're just hanging on about a thread because what they did before um, Murray got. They've been playing. They're nine and one. Their last kin. They they've been playing well. Like I said, when they get in the playoffs, and Jokic can yo yes, thank you. <laughs> Seven game series is a lot different. <laughs> you said Jokic can give you one series. I don't. I think, think one series. I don't think he could give him one series. Oh man, I don't think he could like a full seven game series. I would, I would definitely think, like, whoever their match – this is the team that's going to be – it's going to rely on who they're matched up with because they're not one of the top two or top three teams that can kind of, like, dom- can kind of like get by on any series because of how good they are. Like, this team is really going to be – it's going to be over, overly reliant on Jokic. If they match up with the Phoenix Suns – The Phoenix will win. That's all I wanted to hear. I wasn't going to try to make an unjustifiable uh, take. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but transitioning now to our album reviews and to start off with Rihanna's um, anti-album and thoughts on just how that narrative arc addresses disappointment. Um, This was her long-awaited eighth um, LP and the buildup was thought out and executed very well um, with three singles and none of them actually made it onto the album. But this is a very rich and conflicted um, pop record um, you know, it's more inward facing than some of her previous work. Even her track Consideration with SZA was deliberately paced and the narr- narrative arc of this project um, deals with self-isolation and, and kind of the ways in which people you trust can still come up um, short in the end. Um, but what are your overall thoughts looking back on Anti and what she was able to deliver coming from um, the last album we've heard from her? <sighs> this was the last album we have heard from her. Yeah. And she's trying to change the world with makeup. I love you to death, baby. But come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Do music. It's time. Come back. It's time to do music. It's time. Whatever you're gonna do, you gotta do it now. Whatever. But <laughs> but no, yo, this album, bro, like I you know what? I was all, always on the fence about like can Rihanna really sing? Can she like really, really sing? And certain some of these songs really like convinced me. And when she sung, sung them live, and I was like, okay, Rihanna can sing. But you I mean, I mean we have bops, you know, kiss it better, work. Needed, mm-hmm. needed me. I love needed me. Um, yes. Love on the brain. Uh, I mean, sex with me. It's uh, that's a good one too. But needed me. Out of out of all of them, needed me is my number one, and then work is my number two. Needed me is like you're just another on the hit list. Like okay, I'll, Rihanna, is that you? Like yeah, like she, she <laughs> put her <laughs> she put her neck on this album, man, and she stayed in her pocket. Like she didn't, she didn't do, she didn't go overboard with the production. Speaking of production, I know this. I'm gonna have to put it after this, but J Cole dropped. I don't know if he was gonna get to it. Yes, I was I'm about sorry. to get to it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we gotta yeah. talk about it. <laughs> this album, bro, like the yeah, this album was really dope. It really solidified her in the music game, and you could tell the effect it had on everybody. Like we want more music. You left us with an amazing album. And then you went yeah. to be one of the one of the richest women in the world. Like, dang, bro! Like, what? You- <laughs> That's another thing I want to get to. Like, when an artist takes just a kind of a long, like four or five year, like layoff, like 
like, what does that tell you kind of about the artist's approach? Like, do you feel as though they're like taking more time away? Because obviously with her, like it's more business ventures, but do you yeah. think sometimes it, it maybe is a, a place where they can kind of get into a different zone and just maybe a different element, like when, when they do finally uh, decide to come back? I think it's, it's more so they don't have anything else to prove. Yeah, that's true. When you, when you, when you don't make music for a long time, it can be multiple reasons, but I think, because you always want to be in the public eye. You always want, oh, I got new music, I got new music. Oh, what's going got new music? Once you don't drop mm-hmm. music for a long time, you feel like you have nothing else to prove. Like, your, yeah. your fans are solidified. Your your, your catalog is You're solidified. You're not hungry. Yeah, you're not. You, I mean, you're still hungry, but it's just like, hmm. Not in the same way, I should say. Yeah, now let me, let me look at some outside of music. Music was a catalyst. Now I can do other things. Like, what are those other things? Because I don't have anything else to prove to music. Drake can stop doing music today, and his catalog will be straight for years. Oh, yeah. Eon, yeah, of course. J. Cole. He can make, he can make enough money off of Virginia Black and not even rap. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, facts? Facts. <laughs> uh, who else? Um, like Kendra Lamar, bro. Kendra Lamar has nothing else to prove. Nothing. He doesn't have to drop a single track. It, mm-hmm. For the rest of his life, he has nothing else to prove. Yeah. I think that's... There's, that's there are certain thing. artists that have just reached that status. Yeah, and I think... Who, who else? Who else is like? I think. Mm, who else? I'm, I'm trying to think of an artist who really didn't drop a lot of music in the beginning, but has, mm. still doesn't drop a lot of music. But he doesn't have he or she doesn't have anything else to prove. Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys has nothing else to prove. Yeah, nothing else. Nothing else to prove. She's solidified. She has like four or five bops. And we know she could sing her butt off if she wanted to. She has nothing else to prove. Showtime, yeah. just blurs. So she has nothing to prove. <laughs> nothing. Nothing else to prove. But I mean, for I think for Rihanna, it was more for she has nothing else to prove. And then she wants to venture out. She wants her own thing. She wants to make her own money. You know what I mean? Be her own boss. Have her own. You know what I mean? It's just wasn't yeah. in music. So most people make their own label and then re- regenerate it back in music. But no, she was like, no. I'm not gonna make my own label. I'm gonna make my own product, and then I'm gonna get. I think she's with Puma too, right? Yeah, Puma too. Mm, she's making money, man. Yeah, I just um, pour her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but before before we get to our next review, you were just bringing it up. J. Cole dropped um, a, 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 a single before the offseason um, mm. album dropping next week. Uh, it's called The Interlude. And, you know, he's doing it over a soulful sample. This is, you know, he, he's really kind of, in, this, this is a different type of track that, that I think we've heard for him, for him in a while. Mm-hmm. A really different sound that he's bringing and a different mm-hmm. element. And I think if this is the startup for, from what we're about to get next week, like we're really in, in in store for something that's really special, but kind of like what were your your early thoughts on on this uh, new single? He used a little auto auto tune. Yeah, his production was different. His engineer was different, and it threw me off. Like I'm not used to hearing J Cole's production and engineering like that. And I think I was like, oh, okay, oh. And it wasn't like a like uh like no, nah, why you do that? I was like, oh, okay. Like, it was like a good change. Yeah, it was a good change, and I think yeah, it was so strategic. And how he dropped it. And he, like, I think he, he talking about, oh, I wanted to drop. No, you didn't. And you wanted to tease mm-hmm. us with the interlude that really summed up the entire album. That's such a smart strategy, too. It is. And normally he doesn't drop singles. He just dropped the whole project. And then he doesn't have features. Then he get Kill Edwards. Now he doesn't, he dropped the he dropped the single before the album. Like dudes, dudes, like yo, He's his marketing team. It, I think him and it, I forgot his manager. They're 
they're they're freaking geniuses, man. Yeah, they're geniuses. But yeah, that I mean, his flow was nice. Like it wasn't heavy auto tuned. It was just like a little light, but you knew it, none none of this was too much. It was yeah. literally just right. It was it was literally j like just the right warm up before we get the whole album. It was it, and it's it's a vibe. Yeah, and if you know, I'm now I'm I'm like I'm pumped up for it. He, <laughs> so pumped for the off season because <laughs> he dropped the other two songs like I think last year I forgot their name I don't know uh, Lewis Street and Lion King on Ice yeah those were nice yeah. don't get me wrong yeah. but I haven't really listened to them like that but this I was that was on repeat this was like six or seven eight times I'm going back <laughs> yeah I gotta catch every bar Jesus died yeah. thirty three and went to heaven so did same as Pipsy yeah and Nip like okay. All right, Jay. He said some other bars in there. I was like, yo, J. Cole is back. Boss wasn't lying. If Boss he is was so not. Funny, like so, some so that's funny. the thing. That's the thing. Sometimes we get these keezers and we're like, we're kind of like, nah, like, like we'll believe it when we see it. This one, he was like, he was 100 percent accurate. He was like, now nah, get out my DMs. I told y'all I would lie. I never lie to y'all. I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I thought he was lying. Cause he was, Me too. I was like, I, this is Cap. <laughs> yeah, because this wasn't dropping last year. But I think I, everything happens for a reason. I'm glad he took his time with it. And when he yes. started posting it on his IG story and saying, like, just rolled around the city and listened to the whole album, man, can't wait to drop it. He never does that. This is the first big drop of the year too. I mean, this this is like this is starting off the first biggest drop of the year. Like he's he's really and he's amping it up. Like he's I think this is gonna be a really special project. It gotta be because he's doing something different that he's never done with his most of his projects since what Force Hill Drive. Right. Yeah. And he hasn't missed his. No, I think I like. Well, I like all his albums. I even liked um Born Center. I bump Born Center all the time. Crazy. Me and Martin took a little trip. Down to the garden. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. Oh, no. Kendrick Lamar, his voice is just could, crazy. Could we get a Kendrick feature? <laughs> ah, please. Oh, please. Kendrick, just drop some music. Just do something. Gosh. I'm still waiting on uh, whoever um, TDE is going to drop a single for. It was Isaiah Rashad. Yep. They already dropped it. We're, we're going to review. Okay. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil it for it. next week. We're gonna review that Isaiah Rashad single because that that track is is crazy. I'm going it's called to with Duke Deuce. I know it's a turn up song. Yes, yes. And it dropped May seven. And will it? It dropped today. Yeah, it dropped today. <laughs> Sorry. <y 'all. laughs> Yo, you got new music coming at you everywhere, bro. <laughs> bro, I'm tripping. I'm about to listen to it straight after the podcast. I got some. Um, but yeah, definitely. But but transitioning to, to the Re Revenge of the Dreamers three review, um, in this compilation album from twenty nineteen, you know you have it, um, you know re reconnecting J Cole with his peers, and there's just a strong sense of of collaborative energy, um, a new sense of community that can enlighten and inspire. Um, you know Dreamville's artists take presence on most of the project. You've got collaborations of um, of Jid and Ti and Down Bad. You've got a young nudie person and Got Me. Um, there's a cl collaboration of Ari Lennox, Ty Dolla Sign, um, Omen and Dreezy, but. What were your thoughts on this album as it seemed as though, you know, the best parts of it were when Cole and other Dreamville artists mixed it up with guests and just kind of stepped outside their comfort zones? What an idea, first of all, to bring yeah. young producers and other artists <clears throat> to one studio and just everybody got to get in where they fit in. If you don't want to be on a song, well, you better get hop in the booth. Like, what an experience. And they, they got a lot of great songs from it. Obviously, uh, Down Bad and then the intro song with... Um, um, the baby and uh, Luke and I'm, I'm a big fan of Luke. I, I love his flow. 
He flows yeah. so different. I forgot where he's from. I, I don't want to say he's from uh, North Carolina, but that was that was a dope song. That's how you start off. And then you got a Kids Look More kind of low key feature. I love mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, Down Bad was another one. You, you see uh, Jid just, just flowing um, on his verse and then on, on the hook. Man, just, just all around great project, man. It's so hard to bring that many people to one place. And then Reasons, man. I'm a big fan of Reasons too, TD. Yes. Yeah, Reasons be flowing. He's so- he had one of the best albums from last year. I mean, Reason, yes. he's, he's, he's really been in his own lately. He's, he's like that. He he yeah. really liked that. He's very versatile. Like <laughs> he said something. Um, uh, he's oh what the, uh, whatever. I'll think I'm, I'll think of it later. But yeah, yeah. Reasons tough. They had a great a lot of producers on here. Yeah, man. Tough, tough project. Tough. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, in terms of like when you have a compilation of just so many different artists, like sometimes the, these compilations you know, may, may not work out as, out as well. Like what, what's like the one key element or maybe two elements that you think is like the perfect for like, well, I mean, we can use an analogy of like what doesn't work when DJ Khaled, <laughs> when he <laughs> brings artists together and it's not like, <laughs> it's all over the place. But, but like, what do you think like in particular kind of like makes like a compilation album like really work when you kind of can put together like certain artists of different, uh, of, of different calibers together and, and like really make an album work? vibes man and i think they they yeah. knew what type of people they want they wanted to bring so we know gid gid earth game they they've been knowing each other for a long time then earth game them and gid know smino they know saba and saba and smino are cool like that so they they and then they know um um marimba or marimbe or something like that they they're yeah, cool with that. so they they know which people to bring they just didn't pick like oh any mini mighty mo no they knew what type of vibe they was looking for and they knew what type of artist could bring that, and that's what they did. It has to, it still had to be cohesive, and how everybody got a vibe together. But they knew what type of people they wanted there, who can who can make that happen. And I think that was the the foundation of it all. You know, J Cole is gonna be in and out of there, putting his yes. stamp of approval on stuff and like that. And I want to hear the songs that did make it. There was a bunch of songs that said they did. Man, yeah, definitely. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with our without remorse review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Without Remorse review, and um, we're joined by a special guest, Max Petion, um, a good friend of mine in the show. He was on for um, our past Coach Carter review, but uh, thanks for being back on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I, I, I'm excited to uh, you know, talk about this movie with you all. Yeah, absolutely. And to start with the overview, um, Without Remorse is a 2021 action thriller film based on a 2010s uh, modernized version of the 1993 novel of the same name by Tom Clancy. Um, it's directed by... Stefano um, Salima and written by Taylor Sheridan, Will Staples, starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Bell, um, Jody Turner-Smith, Luke Mitchell, Jack Kessie, Brett Gelman, Lauren London, um, Coleman Domingo, and Guy Pierce. Um, the plot follows John Kelly, a U.S. Navy SEAL who sets out on a path of revenge after his pregnant wife and unit members are killed by Russian hitmen. This film was originally produced and set for a theatrical release by Paramount Pictures, and after the, the delay, it was acquired by um, Amazon Studios. Um, but for you, Max, what what are your initial thoughts of this film as it's another addition to the spy movie genre, but kind of like, you know, wasn't able to have the full theater experience um, due to due to delays for COVID? Uh, I mean, initially, I mean, obviously, Michael B. Jordan is is a, is a uh, crowd crowd pleaser, crowd bringer, however, however they say it. But uh, yeah, I, I, my, my initial feelings was I thought it was a pretty good movie. 
you know, there were a few things that were, you know, typical in these type of movies, but there were a few differences that I that I kind of appreciated as well. So I thought I think overall I thought it was I thought it wasn't a bad movie at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, so you kind of like what were your initial thoughts of it? As you know, we were mentioning earlier before, um, before the podcast that it didn't get great reviews overall, like unanimously. But this was still the type of movie that, even though it was following up just you know a, a lot of spy action movie genres in this particular Tom Clancy uh, genre, it you know it seemed as though a solid film, but maybe a, a, hadn't get really hadn't gotten the um, unanimous approval. Solid film. I wasn't expecting anything uh, overzealous because, like, like you just said, it was a string of Tom Clancy's, Jack Ryan's <laughs> type of film. So I didn't expect anything too too great about it. But I mean, it was a solid film. I think Michael B. Jordan just added to his uh, his arsenal of movies that he's been a part of. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think it was a great film, but I don't think it was a bad film. I think it was, I think it was an, an, a a good solid pocket, especially for Michael B. Jordan. So you don't so, so you don't think it deserved a forty five percent rating around tomatoes? Mm, <laughs> I, yeah, forty five. Yeah, that's a little low. <laughs> yeah, that's not real though. I think that's that's good for a type of film like this. True. Yeah, because we, we get these films all the time. We get these type of movies all the time. It wasn't going to be anything different. Like some, spectacular. Yeah, Jesus had to be like birthed was the baby inside of his, his ex wife, and then something just miraculous happened, and then boom. You know what I mean? Had to be something retarded yeah. to make it be worth over forty five percent. It had to be, but we didn't get that. We got a regular film. Somebody dies. He wants revenge. Mm-hmm. Same plot. Same story. basic basic storyline. Yeah. I mean, Michael B. Jordan, I mean, he's a good actor, but I mean, he can't turn a basic plot like that into something glamorous. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Transitioning to our our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I I thought this was like a a three-star film, like, you know, just a solid type of film. Michael B. Jordan, you know, delivers um, a commanding performance, but filled throughout the film, you know, there were sort, sort of, you know, outdated patriotic tropes and then franchise play settings that that kind of felt forced at times um but to you max like from one to four stars um what would you give it uh i think three three point five maybe mm-hmm. fair yeah uh you know like i i don't think he did any better or any worse than other ones i definitely didn't think it was like a throwaway movie like some actors do right uh, so i think it, 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 it you know three three point five yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, so you kind of like from one to four stars, um, from your perspective, what would you give it? I get two and a half stars. I think because of his performance, mm. I think his performance was good. It was just the same, yeah. the same plot, same same basic movie that we always see. Somebody dies, get revenge. It's the same old, same old. Two and a half stars. Michael B. Jordan's performance was good, though. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's an, like Michael B. Jordan. He's the overwhelming like talk point about the movie. Um, he's doing a lot of more things in terms of like he's going to be directing Creed 3. He's getting into um, kind of a different lane in that aspect. Um, you know, Rocky's not going to be in, in that film. He kind of wanted to make a different approach on that. Like, Max, like, what are your thoughts on him also kind of dealing with a different approach and in, in, in maybe a different challenge in directing um, the, the new Creed movie and also, like, how do you think that will work out for him? Because he is in that type of lane as we, you know, me and Sam, we were talking about it, how he doesn't have like an expansive catalog, but he still kind of is in that in that range of 
trying to expand what he can do and, and see and maybe test his limits. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think this is, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you kind of fail forward. I, and I wasn't I'm saying the movie is a failure. I'm just saying compared to what we've seen, you know, Creed and and even with Black Panther is just like, you know, this 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 film gives him an opportunity to kind of look at what worked and what didn't. And I think that's going to make him a better actor, director, like, you know, help him to, you know, hear, you know, the, the constructive criticisms, you know, that, that are important. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure when they recorded it or when they, when they uh, recorded this movie, you know, what that time frame was, but, you know, I, I think, I think it, it gives him, some good learning, learning experience and moving forward. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited actually to see what, uh, you know, what Creed three looks like. And, and, you know, he, he seems like a very smart guy. I've always been impressed with his, his, his work. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm definitely interested in seeing what, what happens if, you know, as a director and how, how, how that plays out, especially, you know, being in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like, what are your early expectations on Creed Three and just Michael B. Jordan taking a different approach? Because we've seen the Rocky franchise is extremely expansive. Yeah. Um. We we got Creed Two a couple of years ago, but like, how do you think his? Because he's really talked about the strategy and impro and, and, and improvisation of it, wanting to take a different approach and really get even advice from other actors in the past who've done this and maybe you know reinvigorate the Creed franchise. I think it's going to be interesting his perspective on how he changes it because right. normally we get, I mean, Creed is not different from Rocky. I think they have some similarities, obviously. I mean, different storylines, but the same plot. But mm. we, what I, it's, it's going to be interesting what he does to it, how he implements a different different storyline to it to make us, the, the, the viewer, engage throughout the, I guess, hour, two-hour movie, whatever, how long the movie is. It's yep. not much you can do or surprise the viewer that we haven't already seen from a boxing movie from Creed or from Rocky because one, they're, they're, they're sequels after sequels. So what can you do differently to, to make us dive in? You look at the Fast Furious series, they're going to go to the moon next. They're going to do some crazy things. <laughs> like, I don't know what they keep keeping this thing alive How they can for. keep this going. <laughs> Shoot. I think what's going on dead? Paul's going to come back somewhere. I don't know. Like, but it's hard to surprise the viewer yeah. when we've seen so much already. So I'm, I'm interested in how he does it. And this is going to be his first time um, being a director. And it's a totally difference of being a director and an actor. You have that insight as an actor, but it's you have to, you know, obviously, I'm going to use the, the name and the name, direct people in, in, in the vision, how you play, how you see it to the, the, the vision board, dream board, and to, to actual action in the actual shots. It's totally difficult, difficult to do. I've ran a, a newsroom before and I was sweating profusely like, mm. oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a producer. That's the one day I figured out I don't want to be, be a producer. It's, it's nerve wracking, but yeah. it's, it's a difference. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he, uh, what, what he does with it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, transitioning to favorite character. Um, I, I went with John Kelly. You know, he obviously really establishes his action flick uh, credentials in this one, really flourishes in the role of being grievously wrong and, and looking for terminal retribution um to you max who was kind of like like your particular um favorite character in this one uh i mean i, I yeah my, i mean michael b jordan character for sure right uh, i would say 
is is my favorite character. I think there were some scenes that were really good action moment scenes that, you know, like if you ever get, you know, about to get jumped in prison, you know, you got you got a uh you got some options there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I, and I thought, there, I, and I thought there were some cool moments, and, and even like you know, I I didn't think they typically in these movies they take black actors and they make them into these characters that are written in the books, but I felt like they kind of shaped it a little bit more around his his actual identity too. So I think that made it kind of cool for me as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like who was your um, particular favorite character? Ooh, um, ooh, this is interesting. I like, I like Pam. I like Pam. Mm. I like yeah. that she was the foundation of his going off of the deep end and everything. I, I like how she's portrayed as, you know, the loving wife, soon to be mother. You know, I, I don't know, because I, I just don't want to pick John Kelly because I wanted to pick John Kelly, so I'm yeah. pick. Make something different. Yeah, but I do like uh, how um, Lauren London kind of portrayed it, and, and her she did well in this role. She did, and especially coming yeah. out and acting after you know the the passing of, of Nipsey, and just getting yeah. back into the love of acting or whatever. So now I, I loved how she portrayed the the role of uh, Pam Kelly. But John Kelly, obviously, Michael B. Jordan had a good good performance. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, transitioning to most memorable scenes, um, I had the power out scene where, you know, the invaders come in uh, John and Pam's house, um, intruders killing Pam, the burning car interrogation, uh, the prison fight scene and the, and yeah. the Russia shootout. I felt like the burning car interrogation was a really, like that, that was type of scene where, where Michael <clears throat> Jordan could really turn it up and, um, really j- just amp up the intensity of the movie. Um, to, to you, Max, kind of like looking back, like what was maybe one or two of your uh, most memorable scenes from this film? Yeah, I definitely say the burning car scene was, was. I thought that was pretty gangster. Yeah. <laughs> I went at like Navy SEALs beats. I grew up in the hood. Like it was like legit. Yeah. And, and then the scene when he, when he's doing the uh, the fight scene in the, in the jail cell. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, that was like, that was pretty legit like action scene. And, and, and it was one of those things where you're like, you, when, when you understand wh- what kind of character that is, you know, some people, you know, I've read little little of reviews. They were like, Oh, this is, this is unrealistic and blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, Navy SEALs are kind of built kind of tough like that. So yes. I feel like some of this stuff can happen. So for me, I was like, I like the, I like the burning car and then the, the, the fight scene in jail uh, were pretty good. But a, 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 a dark horse to me was when they were, when uh, John Kelly was speaking to, uh, to Lieutenant uh, and, talking about, you know, what they've given for the country that didn't love them back. And I thought that was, you know, some people probably hated that because, you know, you don't normally get that in these kind of movies. But I thought it was kind of a real moment that kind of connected to, you know, the people who probably like this movie more than others. Yeah, absolutely. That was a very real scene, real statement. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like um, what were some of your most memorable scenes? The jail scene was the best scene to me. Mm. At first, I was like, "Why is he putting turning the water on? Like, what is he?" <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. I was like, "Okay, are you dirty? Like, you're about to fight, bro. Like, that's the the last thing you should be worried gotta get about. clean before you fight, <laughs> right, bro? That's the last thing you should be worried about right now. You need to. We tied it up. I was like, "Okay, he's protecting his knuckles. So I get that. Okay, yeah, the water. Uh, 
Nah, I can't. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, I yeah, how he backed them up. He was beating their tails. Like yeah, that was it. That was a good scene. And he got the phone. I was like, oh okay. <laughs> so he's that bad to get a phone call in the middle of a whole fight. Okay, but no, that was one of the best scenes to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, interesting to most memorable quotes. Um, I had I surrender. I know when I'm outnumbered. All I need is a name. Um, in your opinion, how far Kelly can be? Uh, how far can Kelly be trusted? Um, he's full on untouchable. We served a country that didn't love us back. That, I would probably have that one as, as my top one. Mm. Um, they brought that war to my house. Um, and then finally, I'll show them what a pawn can do to a king. Uh, another really good quote. Uh, Max, uh, kind of like what were uh, one or maybe two of your most memorable quotes? I would definitely say the, uh, you know, we serve a country that didn't love us back. You know, that part was, you know, true to the ideals of many African-American soldiers. Uh but I, I also like uh, the scene in uh, where he talked about, you know, death following him with, with the lieutenant and, and, you know, pretty much saying like, you know, you let something happen to your family that, that that's on you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I feel like in some of the movies they hold like this, this weight on their shoulders and, and like, you know, in, in crazy ways, like it doesn't really make sense. But, I think that way was more realistic, you know, where you felt like the, like he said, even, even when, when he was, when he got the, the secretary, I'm assuming this is spoiler alert for anybody listening, <laughs> but you know, when he told us, you know, the secretary, uh, what was it like? Oh my gosh. It just slipped my mind. But when, he, you know, like before he's like, you, you know, you're going to say her name and whatnot. But he he said, oh yeah, he said I took an oath, you know, but he but he felt like his oath to his wife was stronger than his oath to the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and one thing too that kind of made me see like it was just like more more of the picture of like, you know, all these movies make it seem like you know the country is above everything. You know, obviously the, the people have their jobs to do, but it was like mm-hmm. love love kind of anchors you in more than you know your job. Right, it makes sense. And so I just thought those 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 few pieces coming together, those few quotes came together for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what was uh, your most memorable quote? Yeah, the one about the uh, pawn. Uh, what, see, show, show you how to, what a pawn. I show them what a pawn can do to a king. Yeah, that was that was a dope line. It's definitely a dope line. Um, yeah. yeah, that's probably number one for me. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, you know, to me, you know, this is obviously like as we we're saying a basic storyline, but it was a sleek and, and formulaic spectacle, and, and you had um, a durable and charismatic hero anchoring it. Um, but to you, Max, like, what was like the particular element of this storyline that you kind of liked the most? Uh, I kind of liked how, because typically, like you know, Mission Impossible, all these different things, everybody has a team, but it's almost like one guy. If he doesn't do things, nothing's going to happen. Or it's only like one guy by himself, you know, doing the research, doing doing everything. Mm-hmm, but yeah. I felt like one one of the things when I talk about how they kind of infuse, like I would say, black culture in it, in a sense, was like it happened with the village. It wasn't like a yeah. one guy thing, even though you know he 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 did a lot of the dirty work. Uh, a lot of it was. You know, like you know, the scene where he goes and gets the the boat from the from the plane uh, as it's going down. He did everything he needed to do to get the boat up there and pass out 
closer to the, the edge. If but if he was by himself, that movie had been over. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, absolutely. Like, he had his people with him. Uh, I keep forgetting the lieutenant's name in the movie, but uh, I thought I, you know I, th- I I liked her character. Uh, you know Jody Jody Turner Smith's character, uh, Lieutenant Greer, and you know it was it was a good like it was a good mixture like yeah. uh, of of that dynamic there and so it wasn't just a lone wolf you know who has a grudge and is killing everybody blowing stuff up but it's like all right he did his thing and it, and she kind of helped rein him in a little bit too that mm-hmm. time yeah. grounded a little bit yeah absolutely um Savon, to you kind of like what was the element um of without remorse that, that you kind of like the most I didn't like the element. I didn't like the storyline. It was the, the basics, man. Very basic. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I just it's the same thing over and over. Just like Equalizer. Yeah. It's Equalizer. not a complex type of movie. Yeah, it's it's the same. You know, somebody dies. Somebody needs revenge. Goes to jail. Like you know, it's the same old, same old. It's, that's why I give it a two and a half stars, man. I can I can get excited about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's the like you have action movies and i think even spy movie genres that are are more elite that are ones you can look back on that are more memorable i think like the Bourne franchise you have yeah. a lot of rewatchable ones in there mission impossible even some of the recent james bond like skyfall i think is a really top tier action film like to you like either max um or Savon, like you guys can uh, start off with your thoughts like which like what are some of the action film and or maybe spy movies that you would say like you know, these are top tier ones. These are Hall of Fame ones that you can go back and look at, like Ooh. as a very kind of like rewatchable movie. Man, I I just actually just watched Tenant. If you guys ever seen mm, that, one. yes, one my brain still hurts. Oh, the one that's going in reverse, right? Yeah, yeah, Johnny yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That's good. Like I don't know, I I didn't expect it to be that good, but yeah. I thought that was like I'm still trying to figure things out. <laughs> yes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, like you know, it's it's not what you expected, and it's almost like a movie that started from the outside in. You thought you was inside, then it's like inside out, and then it's back to. I'm like, oh my goodness! And so I thought, I think that was one of the. Yeah, that's moved up actually on my top list. Obviously, like James Bond. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have great misdirection. You know, I, and I thought that was you know this movie had a little bit of that because they had you know typically. Shady white guy from another movie, call me the bad guy. And, and, <laughs> yeah. But it was two of them, so it was just like, who did who did you choose? I think that's the only like part where they kind of made you guess a little bit, but not for right. too long. But uh, but I think yeah, James Bond for sure. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I, I mostly watch shows, so they're they're kind of. I think uh, uh, Kingsman was a good one. I like Kingsman. Yes, that was a good. One. Kingsman yeah. was really good. Uh, Spy Kids was uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I had to throw like a. You know, you can't have the same thing. I had to throw a monkey wrench in there. Uh, Unpredictable. <laughs> but no, okay, kids. You watch it five hundred times with your kids. Oh no, I was a big fan of Spy Kids growing up. We're not gonna lie. Like you can just put like a paper in there and McDonald's just poof. Like yeah, I want that. Like where can we get that? Mom? Like, <laughs> I was a huge fan of that. Um, no, Kingsman for sure. You said James Bond was another one. Uh, spy movies. Yeah, I can't, yeah, those are the only ones I can think of right now. And I think the born. I mean, action as well. I think the born movies are up there as, as yeah. Like, 
That's some that's some of Matt Damon's best work. A couple Born is, Born is legit. A couple were just like, mm. like the, the later ones. The one that he wasn't in was just like, oh, scrap metal. Oh, the Born Legacy. Oh God, why? Yeah, why? I don't like that. Why? Just because he. What yeah. about what about Enemy of the State? Oh, oh yes, that's a good one. Yes, Enemy of the State. Yeah, I, I, I watched that. I've probably watched that four or five times in the past couple mm-hmm. of years. Now you got my brain. Good. Now you got my brain churning. Ah, oh, it's another spy movie, or just like movie like that. Have you Have you guys seen Arlo or Argo? Sorry, Argo. Oh, is that with Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. Yes. Yeah. I have seen that, that, that movie. Almost gave me uh, heart heart murmurs or something. It was, that junk had your heart tight the whole time. Eesh, that was I'm a crazy. One. It, I, mean, it, I, I wouldn't say it's like top ten, but it was definitely. <clears> Yeah, and the Mission Impossible. I think Fallout. I thought Fallout was pretty good. Yeah, Fallout was very good. Yeah, you know, like they had. I, it, it was one of those movies where you where they kept that franchise hasn't gotten old. That franchise is like re, still really like churning. Yeah. I just I just hope they can like like pass the torch. You know, yeah, in the right way. But I feel like they kind of add so many like high quality actors, but they each had their own niche in the movie. So it kind of like made sense and it wasn't like they were trying to slap people in there and just like let's do this and that it was just like everybody had their part and they played it well what about yeah uh no okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna prologue it sorry i was about to say okay you know go ahead what about get smart come on man get smart Uh, chill chill. (laughs) johnny english come on man johnny english come on man you can throw in like uh spies in disguise uh, the animated Will Smith movie. Oh yeah, that, I didn't like that one either. That Will Smith catalog, Savon. Yeah. That was he doesn't have. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. He could have did better. He could have accepted yeah. another deal. <laughs> I think a voice like Will, like you have to, we have to see him being serious. But when you do like animation, he has to be like a funny character. It can't just be. Like you know, I felt like it didn't quite match his voice, and yeah, it, it, was, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of just. Mm. Oh, I got one. If, I'm not sure if you guys seen this one, Atomic Blonde. I watched mm. that one. I, I haven't seen that. I one. watched it, and I was, I'm still on the fence about it. I think it was really good. I mean, I'm a big fan. I forgot her name. I'm a big fan of her. How can you be a big fan of good on her name? Charlize Theron. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I, I, so, hmm. here's the thing that made me like that one. Was when I found out like she did a lot of the stunts. Oh yeah, yeah, that she did herself. That she and did. so maybe now I know you did it. So I'm like, I can't think of you like you know a skinny, you know woman just trying to beat up all these guys. And then when you see how like, you know people try, people do all these fight scenes and they just act like they have all the energy. And it's like it don't work that way in real life. Nope. You get punched in the stomach. You can't be you don't breathe in like that. You know. And so she, she you can actually see that. And it was like. You know, it, it didn't it didn't happen exactly the way you thought it would happen. Um, we're missing one. This John Wick. I was John just about Wick. to say that. I was just yes. about to say that. Is that John Wick? Yes, spy film. Uh, action. Yeah. I mean, action. I was. Talking, I mean, action. Action genre and spy genre. So yeah, take your pick. Yeah, John. I Wick like, yeah, John Wick did it pretty good. It wasn't like I was like Fast and the Furious is just like they just keep blowing stuff up every. <laughs> well, I feel like John Wick is like I thought at one point I was gonna get tired of him beating people up, but. It just worked. <laughs> yeah, they reveal. Yeah. The, I love it. They reveal more and more. They give us. They don't give us too much, so they can make another film. And it's yeah. I, I like. I like the series. Yeah. I'm waiting. I can't wait for the, the third one. 
Yeah. Wait, is it already out yet? Parabellum? Parabellum, who's that? No. John Mark Chapter 3? No, it's not out yet. It's supposed to come out this month. That's what they said last year, but I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure they pushed it. Got it. Yeah. There's Uh, three movies so far, or has it only been... Is this one coming out on DVD, you meant? Or is it... Yeah, I, I think this one is coming out on DVD because, like Savon was saying, they're having to push it back. So yeah, because it's okay. yes, yeah, already four. It's already three. The fourth one is coming out. Okay. Yeah, we did the Parabellum was the third one. Third one. Yeah, out in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um. But transitioning to our last topic, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Uh, Max, do you do you like as we as we talk about this film, a very basic storyline. Um, I, I'm kind of like hit or miss. I, I don't. I feel as though there's more action films that'll be like more watchable and intriguing, like this one, because Michael B. Jordan. You, you, like you may put it on, but in, in your opinion, like uh, ten years from now, do you still think this will be a watchable and intriguing type of film? I, intriguing, like I don't know. I mean, for me, like I, I try to when I I'm flipping through movie channels, I'm like, oh, I recognize this person. Let me see what this is about. So I, I'll probably you know ten years from now, if I see this movie on TV, like playing you know, on, you know, whatever movie channel, mm-hmm. I would probably stop and watch it. Uh, Cause you know, I'll re- Oh, Michael B. Jordan. I like him and, and whatever, you know, I, I do the same thing with like a uh, diehard. If I'm scrolling through and I see it on, I might stop for a little bit or, you know, watch the whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, but I don't think it's like, you know, like I, I've probably watched, I've, I've rewatched Tenet already. So I'm like, I might have to yes. watch it a few more times. Like I feel like that movie is gonna be, you know, compared. That's to- a very watchable movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know, but uh, yeah, I think, especially when you have when you're Michael B. Jordan, you're probably gonna have a catalog, end up with a catalog that's you know more expensive too. So it's like you will have options, but so I would say, depending on depending on how you feel, but I would say it won't it won't be like uh, intriguing as as other films, but you know it it will definitely be something you can stop on. And you know the acting wasn't like horrible, like you right. know it wasn't. Some of these films, the acting be so terrible, like especially like you know bad bad action scenes where you're like doing the same thing for like five minutes in a movie, and it's like y'all could have chopped this up, yeah, for the film. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, uh, to, to close it out, kind of like, do you think another decade from now? Um, this will be watchable and intriguing. No, absolutely not. Just yeah. just for the Jake Ryan and Tom Clancy films that's you know came before it, they probably get nah. It probably won't even be a, a thought <laughs> to be completely honest. Yeah, even with Michael B. Jordan being there. Yeah, have you guys seen the Jack Ryan show? Yes, mm. that was uh, I haven't seen the show. Amazon. I have seen a couple with um, what's the name? John Crane. Krasinski. Krasinski, yes, thank you. I've seen some of him. I like them as uh, the Wishcom because it, it gave me a different side of him. Because yeah. normally I'm the Office or any other funny movie he's been. No, in. he killed that. He yeah. killed that character. No, he I'm was saying. just like big guy in, in the Office, and he's just like Jack Ryan. I'm like, oh snap! Yeah, that's what I was like, intrigued about it. Yeah, because he kind of flipped the switch. Because even after the Office, he played in a, a bunch of like like spoof movies, funny movies with. Um, with Meryl Street, then another guy because they were yeah. yeah yeah he was the yeah anyways my, my, my question though asking that is I wonder if this would have been a better uh, thing if it was a series instead of a movie 
They don't have that. I much think it would have been a better series. They don't, they don't have that much yeah. money for Michael B. Jordan to make it a series. Yeah, but he's yeah he's not gonna do that. I mean, it's Amazon. They'll they'll put one series in, get you Golden Globes, and move on. Like you know, so <laughs> I don't know. They've done that many shows. It's it's the I think it's the high profile actor that you're having in. I think that's the only thing that would maybe put a pause on it because like. I think for another actor, this would definitely be a better, like, you know, 10 or 11 episode Netflix series or, or Amazon. But I think since since you got the catalog, I mean, the, the, the high profile actor in Michael B. Jordan, that probably would maybe put the pause on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Max, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on as, as always. And uh, thanks for being back on, man. No, it was a privilege, man. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, asking me to do this again. Uh, you know, hopefully... I have some more movies to look at. Uh, you know, there's Fast and the Furious 1000. You know, <laughs> yes. We got we to gotta review that. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to be alive for it. <laughs> exactly. You know, gets an inch of his, within an inch of his life, you know, and, you know, makes it out. <laughs> yeah, well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wenza Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.